It's the e-commerce master plan podcast here to help you solve your marketing problems and grow your e-commerce business. Cutting through the hype to bring you inspiration and advice from the e-commerce sector and beyond. Here's your host, Chloe Thomas. Hello and welcome to this episode of the e-commerce master plan podcast. Thank you for tuning in. It's great to have you here. I'm Chloe, the creator and host of this award-winning show, and it's my aim in every episode to help you find ways to improve your e-commerce business. Welcome to the sixth episode in our e-commerce growth series sponsored by Clavio. This month, we're bringing you two episodes a week, so make sure you've got us in the diary for Thursday as well as Monday. Now, each and every episode features a guest or guests handpicked by me to bring you different approaches to growing your e-commerce business. We are covering a lot of different topics this year, so make sure you tune into them all. Now, in today's episode, we are catching up with super clever e-commerce lady, Lucy Bloomfield. I know you love our interviews with her. And in this episode, we're getting into exactly what it takes to make the shift from 500,000 to 1 million in annual sales. It's a shift that isn't easy, where a lot of e-commerce businesses come unstuck. And it's about a lot more than just spending more on Facebook ads. Before we get into all that, though, please do check out the sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for brands of all kinds and sizes. Whether you're an entrepreneur just starting out or you're part of a marketing team at a multinational brand, Clavio will give you everything you need to create memorable marketing moments, building customer relationships that keep shoppers coming back time and time again. Get started with a free account today. Visit clavio.com slash masterplan. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash master plan. And now to introduce today's guest expert, Lucy Bloomfield. Back in 2017, Lucy was busy growing her own e-commerce business to over 10,000 customers in just 18 months. You can hear about that back in episode 253. Now today she focuses on helping retailers replicate her success. Lucy's a regular guest on the show because she always brings such great insight. In the past, together we've covered ethical, sustainable e-commerce and customer personas. And in this episode, we're getting into just how do you make the shift from 500,000 to 1 million in annual sales? Hello, Lucy. Hey, thank you for having me again. Oh, well, you you always bring, and as I'm saying this, I'm remembering you're probably going to coach me at some point. In this, <laughs> I'm going, oh, why did I ask her back again? But no, you always bring such great value. So it's cool to have you here. But um, but how was how was 2020? Oh my God, it was a crazy year. Um, so for those of you who are listening, I live in Melbourne, Australia, if you can't tell from the accent. And uh, we spent not in one hit, but about six months of the year in lockdown, which was really, really challenging. Um, But in saying that, also had a lot of time for the business and it's been an incredibly successful year business and finance wise. So can't really complain too much. Yeah, it's been one of of those strange years. Everyone who's had some success has also had issues and vice versa. I'm not sure anyone's had a completely dark year because there's just been so much time available to change change it but but let's let's get into 500,000 to 1 million which is what you're doing with a lot of your clients so why you you kind of picked these numbers for us to focus on today so why 500k to 1 million is it a particularly difficult leap to make 
Okay, so I think a, a better place or a better question to sort of branch into this is to look at like the three problems that you have typically in a product business. Um, and so you have the volume problem, which is when you don't have enough throughput in your business via sales. Then the next problem that all product businesses will have is leverage, which is they're making a good chunk of money. Uh, roundabout, it happens depending on the product and the business itself. It happens somewhere between 300 and 600K a year. And the last problem is the scale problem, which is actually like a really fun and challenging problem to have. But the reason that I was saying that we should chat about the journey from 500 to a mil is because there are a series of mistakes that people make um, when they get to that point. And if you do that, getting to a million dollars will just about kill you and more than likely, likely you will burn your business down. So that's why I said we should talk about it. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's kind of like the point at which those three problems all come together. And if you take the right path, you're going to succeed. And if you get it wrong, because I mean, I've been there with, with, you know, trying to build a business and just taking that wrong path. And human nature is that we we double down on what on decisions we've already made. Yeah. Which just leads to hideousness in so many facets of life and and business. So so yeah, it, it's it's a really difficult thing to change tack. So hopefully we can we can help some people avoid heading in the wrong direction in the first place. Yeah, 100%. And I think one of the hardest things that entrepreneurs in product businesses will go through is that everything that you did to get to the point where you solve the volume problem um, and when you hit that threshold, let's just call it 500K for cleanliness, mm-hmm. everything that you've done up until that point is great and you should like you know celebrate that. You worked your ass off to do it. Congratulations. Um, but as soon as you hit that point, the work has to change immediately for you as a CEO if you want to go any further. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs have a real struggle around that because a big part of solving the problem, the volume problem is more sales, more sales, more sales, more sales, more sales all the time. And you can't keep running your business like that as soon as you hit the 500K mark. Yeah, it's just, it's that interesting thing of when you look at big businesses, even bigger businesses, there are certain people who are great at getting a business from seed funding to the first IPO, say, but they're usually absolutely awful at the bit after that. You know, you wouldn't hire a guy who, or a guy or woman who can do that bit to run Walmart because they they couldn't do it. It's not what they're, what they're made to do. And it is possible as a founder to make a shift at these big business stages, but it's not easy. And it's, it's a, it feels a lot more comfortable to go, well, um, this strategy got us here, so this strategy will get us on, but you have to make those, those changes of tack. Um, so what, what's, what's kind of like the biggest thing you have to change then at that point? What's the, the number one error I suppose you see people making? The volume problem's pretty straightforward. There's not enough money coming through the business. And then you hit a point where there's too much money coming through the business. I know this sounds crazy. I know if you've never been through this and you've never solved the volume problem before, it sounds absolutely insane. But there is a point in these product businesses where there is too much money coming through and your business starts to break, whether that's in your fulfillment or your service to your customers or your supply chain, like things will start to fall apart. And a really good example of this is like, 
one of my clients hit her first $70,000 month. And that was really exciting. Like she's obviously grown really, really quickly. She went from doing five grand at the start of the year to having 70 grand in the last, um, I think it was September. And immediately in October, everything broke. Her supply chain was broken. Her, she couldn't get stuff into Australia to fulfill orders. She didn't have stock to sell. Therefore her sales system broke. Like things burning down in your business are a really, really good sign that you're growing way too fast. And it's not a good thing, right? Like I'm sure everyone has seen these ads where there's someone in your Facebook feed going, I helped my clients go from $30,000 a month to $260,000 a month. Would you like to see how I did it? And it's like, dude, your clients are going to go bankrupt. That's not something to be proud of. Yeah, and usually they're stood in front of a Lamborghini, as they say this, which is is a red flag to anyone. <laughs> Any cars in marketing adverts, unless they're people who who market cars, <laughs> run, run for the hills. Yeah. Um, so sorry, I didn't. I don't think I answered your question. Um, no, sorry. I think, I, I think you did. I think you also raised a really interesting interesting point, which is that we build. It's not just kind of the mindset and the strategies. It's also we build these systems and you know, you said about manufacturers and the supply chain, there are suppliers who are great at small volumes and there are suppliers who are great at big volumes. And there comes a point where as much as your small supplier may want to keep supplying you bigger volumes, it's going to break them because they're not set up to do it. Their specialism is is short runs and small runs and helping people get off the ground. And what you then need to do is to take all that knowledge over. Yes, you have to set up another supplier to get that built. And and I think the other thing which struck me as you were talking about it is when all those systems break and when you have unfulfilled, you know, you've got people coming to your website who can't buy. One of the big things that has really accelerated in 2020, I think, amongst these other trends we've seen accelerate, is that need for the emotional connection with customers and the, the importance of trust and the importance of um, building that relationship with your customers and that, that em- emotional connection. And if everything, you know, Five years ago, if the supply chain broke and the call center were overwhelmed, it was like, oh, well, that's slightly annoying, but we'll fix it. Now, it could lose you all this, all the credit you've built up with customers in the first X months, X years of your business as you got to the 500, 100K, mm-hmm. because suddenly they're, they're not going to recommend you to their friends anymore because they've just had a bad experience. They're now frustrated with you. They're going to go somewhere else or the product quality dips a bit because the supply chain falls apart. And it's it's far more than just this week we've got a problem I have to now go and fix. It could sabotage everything you've done before if you're not ready for it. Correct. And even down to the most um, base meaning of what that is, where you will become insolvent. Like, And that's what I mean. And it's really hard because you would think that using that ads example, right, where the guy's like, my client went from $30,000 to $260,000 in a month. You would think that more money would mean that there is more profit, but that kind of growth is A, expensive on the front end, making the sales, but B, expensive on the back end because you have to pay to fix fires that come up. And like I've had clients that have been literally this close and I'm holding my fingers up to Chloe and it's like (laughs) maybe two mil like mm-hmm. just scratch through on on becoming insolvent because the sales system broke or the supply chain broke, like clients going from 100 grand a month consistently down to 10 grand because everything fell apart. 
And that's exactly what happens when you treat a 500K business, a 500K product business, and keep trying to grow it the same way you did to get it to that point. Because it's as, as each of these kind of firestorms happen, you go, right, okay, customer service is overwhelmed, brilliant, we'll quickly outsource it to that other agency. And that's going to cost you a premium. And you're not going to ha- get around to training them properly. So you're, that's then going to you know, cause problems anyway. But that was one decision where you're paying more than you should per order for what you need to do. Then you know the warehouse breaks. So you're like, right, okay, cool. We'll quickly move to another 3PL but again, not set them up correctly, pay a premium because you've not made the right choice. And all of a sudden, you know, you're you're paying extra to them. Then you make far too quick a, a change of manufacturer or change of supply chain. Again, when the margin should be improving for you at this point with volume, you've made another bad decision. And all of a sudden, the cash is gone. And you're having to, put, you know, it's that age-old problem with retail, which is you buy product and sometimes you have to pay for that product up front and you're not getting the money till later. And it's it's so easy to run out of cash when the growth kicks in. Totally. I mean, it's really, um, it's really interesting that you bring up the hiring thing. Cause that is a hundred percent the most common mistake that people make when they get to the, the half a mil mark. Um, because you're busy and you're like, well, I'm really busy. So I need to hire people. And actually you don't need to hire people. You need to build leverage so that the company is less heavy to run. That means, and I have the perfect example of this, yeah, because I fell for this hook, line, and sinker when I built my first skincare company. Um, And we talk a bit about this in the other episode. Which number was it, Chloe? Uh, 253. 253, right. We talk a bit about that story. Um, But what I did was I was like, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, hire, 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 hire. We had a team of nine and we were sub- 500k. Yes, I'm insane. That that's crazy <laughs> talk. And of course there was no profit because look at how much we were hiring. But the problem with that, right, is that people hire because they think that the person will be able to do the job for them and they can, but it's not the same as having the processes mapped out and having things automated first and foremost and then delegated. Mm-hmm. That you can really look at how much you need to hire for and for who as well, because the biggest problem that people will have at their first 500K or even if they've been sitting at 500K for a couple of years is there's not that much money left over. It's not that profitable. When you're also in the situation where you've probably not got enough work for one whole ops person or one whole full-time marketing person. So, you know, back in in 2017, 2015, when you were doing this compared to now, it's an awful lot easier to hire a part-time ops person or a part-time marketing person or a VA who can do the social or, you know, part people, you know, part-time people, which is so much more effective. And because they're part-time, you get a lot, you have to focus on the systems and the training more. Yeah. Because, you know, as you say, it's it's leverage both of time, but it's also leverage of systems. So as if that person bails on you for what, you know, good reasons or bad reasons, you can easily replace them because the they, it's, they didn't own the process, you owned the process. Correct. Yeah. And that's, that's probably the biggest mistake that I see people make. I mean, even trying to outsource sales, my clients often make this mistake as well, being like, I'm so busy, I'm going to get someone else to do the sales. And it's like, no, no, no. Like your job as the CEO, the the biggest value activity for you and your business right now is making more money, but you can't make more money because your business is broken. So 
we need to fix the all the the processes and the back end systems so that there's leverage and someone else can step in and t- i guess like i think of it as like putting on the straps of a backpack and like hoiking the the backpack up if you can make that load lighter and remove some of the rocks from the backpack then it's a lot easier for you to approach being at the front with sales yeah, and it's especially when we talk about this, you know, the emotional connection, the importance of getting to understand your customer. If you don't do that as the CEO and drive that, you know, it takes a long time to be able to hand that over to someone else. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to care about the customers anymore. I'm going to go and worry about manufacture. So how about you? You just take over my customers and my business. I mean, it's a, it's a crazy thing to think to think it's a good idea to do. Yeah. I mean, I have a, certainly people have done it and I don't want to knock it. I'm sure you've had amazing guests on your podcast who have really successful ads agencies where they do that. And there's definitely merit to that. But I think for someone who's looking to build um, a business that has an an inherently baked in value, which is to say they own the manufacturing, they own the supply chain, they own the sales, they own the fulfillment, like someone who wants to have everything internal, why would you give away like the most valuable part of your business, which is the relationship with your customers? And if you don't want to own it, like, let's just say someone's like, yeah, but I'm drop shipping or I'm, you know, someone else does the manufacturing for me or someone else does the sales for me or all three, where's the value in your business? There's none. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because there's there's kind of I'm going to take a slight detour here. Yeah, dropshipping businesses are still definitely something which you can do and something which can be effective. And and you know, creating a very outsourced business is possible, but it doesn't have the longevity. It's it's more of a get rich quick scheme. And if you want the long term business, you have to focus on building that relationship with that customer. And you know, maybe you're someone who is great at the creative stuff, but you're not so good at the ones and zeros. So therefore you know, you do want to get someone to, you know, do the day-to-day running of your ads, but you should still be all over the wording of those ads, the content of those ads and the message. Because that, yes, the the nitty gritty of Facebook ads, I totally get that someone might want to get the hell away from that. But you, you've still got to be so in on making sure those ads are right for your customer. Otherwise, you just, you just build problems down the line. Mm. And I think like I uh, have a healthy disagreement for what you just said, and That's I okay. hope you don't mind. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm all open to disagreement. <laughs> because how are you going to manage your salesperson slash Facebook ads person if you don't know how well your ads should work? Yeah, there's definitely a, a level of knowledge that you have to have. And I mm. think, you know, I, I ran a I ran a Google ads and Facebook ads agency for the best part of 10 years. And the nightmare clients were the ones who had no clue how it worked. And the clients we loved to work with were those who'd, who'd run it themselves for a bit, you know, for six months, for for three months, because they got it and they understood and they they were able to work with us to create a better, a better result. Mm-hmm. And the ones who who just you know, went, why isn't this working anymore? It's like, well, because you changed all your landing pages and didn't tell us. You know, it's like you you have to have an understanding as an owner. And I think, you know, that the, the best, in my mind, the best way to do that is to dive in and play with the numbers and play with the digits. Correct. And if someone's at 500K, they've done that, right? And so the question then becomes, it's like most people who get to 500K are like, hmm, 
this is not as much money as I thought it would be. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the question then becomes like, okay, so what, what do I do next? Because the, the sword that you've been brandishing for the last however long to get to your first 500K, that's not the sword to, to cut your way through to a million. Um, you asked before about like mindset. I think that the biggest thing that people have to wrap their head around is make sales, like definitely keep making sales. We don't want your sales to drop. But it, your biggest problem is not making more sales right now. It's the fact that your business can't handle more sales. Yeah, so you've got to get keep the sales ticking over, but build the back end, which is going to enable you to then go, right, here we go, everybody. We've got everything in place. And it's how does someone, you know, we're we're using, as we discussed earlier, this can be a number that, you know, goes somewhere between 300k, 500k is the point at which you're going to hit this point. How can someone see that they're at the point where they need to go and spend spend more time? growing the systems in that back end. What's what's the key moments of right now is the time? Because I partly asked this because uh, one of the reasons I was a failure as an agency owner, great at Facebook ads and Google ads, I will just caveat that with, but a <laughs> failure as a business, as, a, as an agency owner and failed to grow it was because I always focused we had ops that um, you know, million, two million pound turnover agency would kill for. And I built that when we were doing 200 K because I get overly obsessed with the ops, you know? So if I ever get around to starting an e-commerce business, when we hit 50 K, I'll have a full system that could do 2 million probably in the back end, which would have been a stupid move. Um, so music to my ears. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm your, you're kind of your, your perfect problem <laughs> client. I don't you know. Have an e-com business. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, um, so how do we know when to hold off and when to start on that backend systemization process? That's a really good question. Uh, I think that processes should be done as you're doing them. But in saying that, there is a there is a lot to be said for you can't write a process for something that you don't understand and that you're not a master of. So if you've spent the last six months learning Facebook ads, you can't really write a process for Facebook ads if you're still learning them. You just can't because you you don't even know how you're doing it. You're still guessing. So for me and what I highly recommend to my clients is to make enough money to break the business first or get really close to breaking it. What Um, do you mean by breaking it? Just to clarify. Good question. So you will start to notice that um, things, the problems feel different. So instead of checking your Facebook ad account every day and be like, hmm, why is there not more sales? Or, oh, I only have 10 orders to pack today. Um, You'll start being like, crap, how am I going to fit this in? Like, who do I need to organize? Who do I need to wrangle to look after the kids? Uh, Should I work extra hours? Yeah, I'm going to work extra hours because I have to send out that email. Um, You will notice that perfect example with my first skincare company, there was just not enough time to do what we needed to do. So, I'd wake up at six, I'd go to the gym for a couple of hours, come back, start work at 9am, work flat strap until 2pm, then break, pack as many orders as I could, get it into the the postal van, have dinner at like six and then work all the way through until 1am, then do it again the next day. Because when else was the stuff going to get done? If you're answering customer service emails on the couch at seven o'clock at night, 
that's the time. <laughs> when that, so as soon as you start to feel those pinch points, as soon as your mindfulness time each day is picking and packing boxes, that's your bit of self-love. That is a sign that it's time, time to fix it. Yeah. We used to, ugh, I look at it now and I'm like, oh, Lisa, you like, ah, why did you run your business like that? But I had to, I had to learn. Um, we would spend hours at night from seven o'clock onwards packing orders. And we'd be like, this is so fun. We're watching Shark Tank while packing orders. And I look back <laughs> at it now and I'm like, that is so toxic and unbalanced. <laughs> yes. It's, it's a, but it's the, and the thing is I, I find, you know, cause I've hit those, those moments as well, not packing boxes, but similar scenarios. And it's, and, and, you know, I, I used to think this was just me, but I know it's kind of human nature is it's very tempting to just go, I'm busy. So it's all going to be okay. And the more busy I am, the better it's going to get. Whereas actually all you're doing is digging yourself into a bigger and bigger and bigger hole because you're wearing yourself down to a point where you're no longer capable of fixing those problems. Um, and can I say on that one as well, um, that's when you burn the business down. When you back yourself so far into the burnout hole, that's when you start making really poor decisions. So uh, burnout, right, is there's a couple of different factors for burnout. And I'm not a dietitian, but I've spent a couple of years working with an amazing dietitian who specializes in getting entrepreneurs out of burnout. And there are a few factors. Obviously, overwork is the main one that we all know about. The other one is chronic negative emotion and what is happening inside an early stage product business. There's never enough money. There's money going in and out the door for um, inventory. There's unexpected costs. You're just skating through as, as often as you can. And when you start getting seriously deep into the burnout hole is when you start making really stupid decisions. And that's how companies go and solve it. Yeah. And they're the sort of things which in five years time, you look back and go, why on earth? It all makes so much sense now, but why did I do it at the time? So one of the kind of another question I want to ask you about all of this is if someone's reaching that breaking point, they know they've got those, those um, moments going on and they're realizing that there isn't any money, there's no margin. They can't buy customers for a price it works. Is there any point at that stage of fixing the back end or is it time to actually go, this doesn't have scalability, it's time to do something else? Which I realize this is a slightly different topic to the one we've generally been talking about. But I think I, I, as we're talking, I can imagine some people going, yeah, I've got all those pinch points, but there's no money. What should they do? That's really common. Um, if that's your situation, don't feel bad because that's actually really, really common. And I think there are a couple of things that you should be looking at. So I get clients to do this when they're solving the volume problem so that by the time they've solved the volume problem, it's less of a problem, but you really need to adjust your, your margins so that you're upwards of 60% profit. And if you can't do that, you need a better product. Um, and then the other thing is the, a lot of people don't realize this, but, um, when you're, when you're growing an e-com business, it's really easy to think that I'll have way more money at 50 grand than I did at 20 grand a month. And yes, you do, but it's actually funny how the profitability plays out at 50 grand a month, because you would think that there would be more profitability, but some, a lot of the time, especially when you're growing, growing through to that point, there's actually less profitability. 
So if you're scraping through at 20, 30 grand a month, or you're scraping through at 50 to hundred grand a month, adding more money will not fix the problem. Let me repeat that. Adding more money to your business will not fix your profitability problems. Profitability comes from within and it's about optimizing the business where you are right now with your current monthly revenue so that there is more profitability before you add more money in. There is a certain point in all product businesses called the volume threshold, which is even when you add more volume through the business, your expenses don't increase that much. But I can pretty much guarantee anyone listening to this right now, unless you're doing over like 300 grand a month, um, that's not your, that's not going to be your situation for quite some time. So rather than always thinking about more sales, more sales, more sales, instead think about um, more profit at the current rate that you're at for less work and then scaling it. I love that more profit for less work because it, but it's it's an underrated idea and I I I want to make the point and Lucy you're more than welcome to tell me if I'm if I'm talking terribly at this point but I think there's also an element of sometimes you have to grow a business to a certain level and you're but you're still testing is this a viable business because yeah it it can be quite easy to get you know 5k a month in sales for something but that might be all the customers that are out there. That might be, you know, because of the way you're having to buy buy the customers, i.e., what you're having to spend on the marketing. It's just not possible to raise the AOV, to lower the cost of of the goods, to take it to another level. So there's not there's nothing wrong in going. Well, I've learned a lot, but this business is not going to work. It's time I took some time for me, and then I restart with another idea, because sometimes it's just it's not your fault. It's just the simple fact of the demand and the supply is just not going to happen. And banging your head to try and fix that is a nightmare. Yeah, well, I mean, this is a perfect example of the volume threshold, right? Because even let's just say you do have a cheap product. Like I had a cheap product with the skincare business. And in the end, I was like, you know what? This isn't worth it. Um, in Our volume threshold was like something like 2 to $3 million a year. It is so hard to build an even, even a million-dollar product business let alone a two to $3 million product business. And I guess the question that you want to ask yourself is like, do you want to stick it out to the point where the volume threshold, you hit the volume threshold? Because if you do, cool, do it. But understand that it's going to be really, really challenging. Like all the lies on the internet where people are like, I kept this much profit. That's not true. Most e-com businesses operate at like 10% profitability. 10% of a million dollars is a hundred grand a year. It's not it's not that much money for the work. So I guess you have to ask yourself, like, do you want to see it out to the volume threshold? And then if you do, are you willing to, to, I guess, wear the cost of doing that? And the cost is there's not going to be a lot of money and it's not going to be particularly fun. Which, you know, there's going to be another idea. <laughs> I would say at that point, it's time to go, actually, this is cool. I've realized at this point that it's time to duck out and try something else. And that is a win in anyone's book. That does not make you a failure. Um, so to get to 500 to the million, it's it's really a case of looking for those break points and building our, our backend systems to build that efficiency to maximize our margins. So then we're ready for the push on. Yeah. You can't, uh, you will never hear me say, don't make sales because I always think that you should be making sales. Even my clients that do 750K a year, I'm like, 
why aren't you checking your ad account? Make sure you're making sales. We do not want to have like a cash flow issue and for you to go insolvent sub a million dollars a year. That's not what we want. But you can approach sales in a different manner because I, I think there's certainly merit to going as fast as you can to get to your first half a mil. I think that's actually a really good idea. But taking the foot off the pedal and settling in for the plod and pacing yourself from 500K up to a million is a really smart idea because then you have time to incrementally grow the sales, but also time to do what you need to do to make it possible to hit the million. E-commerce master plan is supported by some of the greatest companies in the e-commerce sector. Here's a reminder of who they are. Success in 2021 means building stronger relationships with your customers. Last year saw a lot of consumers switching to buy online, leading to surges in new customer acquisition. So how are you planning on turning your new first-time buyers into profitable repeat customers? Well, that's what Clavio is for. Clavio helps businesses create memorable marketing moments through email, SMS, and personalised website experiences. And that is what creates repeat purchases. That's why Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform, Platform is used by over 50,000 e-commerce brands around the world. Get started with your free account today. Visit klaviyo.com slash masterplan. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash masterplan. It's time for the top tips round. Okay, I love this section because it gives me and our listeners some really quick ideas for taking our businesses to that next level. Um, Lucy, you ready for the top tips? Let's do it. Okay, the book top tip. If everyone listening to this podcast agreed to take Friday off and read a book to make their business better, which book would you recommend? Uh, I'm going to break your brains. There's a really, really amazing book called Thinking in Systems. I can't remember the author, so I'll send it to um, Chloe afterwards. But it is such a good book on how to build a really slick system that is your business. And then the other one is a graphic novel called The Goal, and it's about bottlenecks. And I think that's a really cool book if you're looking at your business after listening to this and going, hmm, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, guys. You've got uh, you've got one brain breaker and one easygoing graphic novel. You, the two extremes, depending on how you're feeling on Friday. Um, <laughs> The traffic top tip, which marketing method do you either prize above all others or think doesn't get the press it deserves? Oh, doesn't get the press that it deserves. That's an interesting question. Okay. So given that we're talking about uh, 500K businesses, let me let me deliver you a, another brain melter. Um, your business is not your product. Yes, that's right. Your business isn't your product. Your business at this stage and from this point onwards is the audience that you own. And so one of the most effective ways and one of the one of the ways which people always seem to forget is doing joint ventures or doing distribution deals with people who want to get in front of your customers. And a really good example I have of this is a client of mine she sells more books in Australia with her subscription boxes than any Australian book chain including Dimex, including anyone else. And so her power, her leverage in negotiating with a supplier is she shouldn't have to pay for her books. If people want to, if people want to get their books in front of this particular audience, they should be seeding it. Do you know how that's affected her profitability? Let me tell you, it's been very, very, very good for her. So understand that the 
where you're sitting at right now, as far as your, your revenue, you are actually at the cusp of being incredibly powerful in your negotiations, not just with your suppliers, because we obviously want really great deals with our suppliers, but also everyone else who wishes that they knew to how to sell like you do. That's such an untapped space is the partnerships and JVs. And guys, this includes talking to your competitors and putting postcards in each other's parcels. It, this can be really low value stuff, you know, low low cost stuff, hugely powerful. I could t- we, that may be our next episode, Lucy, um, <laughs> but we're not going to do it now. We're going to finish this episode. Okay, everyone, you'll just have to stay tuned for that one. Okay. Uh, the tool top tip, maybe a collaboration tool, a social media plugin, a phone app, or just a way of working. Is there a cool little tool you use that makes you and your team more efficient from day to day? Oh yeah, Monday. Monday is the bee's knees. So guys, if you're looking at the leverage side of things with your product business, I'm going to challenge you to do a couple of things. The first thing is to log what you do on a piece of paper in one day. And I don't mean checked Facebook ads, um, made a cup of tea. I mean, checked Facebook ads, noticed campaign wasn't X, adjusted budget, Um, literally log it. Yes, it will be annoying and it will take a lot of time, but it's going to be worth it because what you're going to do is see the distribution of your time and what's being soaked up. You're also going to be seeing the activities that you do. Now, the activities are really important because if you know what activities you're doing throughout the day, you can start to go, okay, yeah, but how did I check the Facebook ad account? How did I send out that email? What's my process for that? Putting that in Monday let me tell you how much I love Monday. (laughs) (laughs) Monday has these really kick-ass automations that make it possible. I've been doing this for my company at the moment and I'm at the point now where I need to, I need to hire internally so that I can continue growing. And so I've been doing this, this process of going, what do I do in my day? Put it in Monday, build a process. And I went through my processes the other day and I was like, hmm, could a computer do this? And it turns out I don't actually need to hire because Monday and Zapier can do pretty much all of what I thought someone else needed to do. I, I, I always find it so exciting when I can outsource to tech rather than humans. Mm, mm-hmm. So definitely Monday is the one. Nice. Uh, you've just, you may have convinced me to shift to Monday. Um, that's <laughs> Not the rest, sponsored. <laughs> yeah, that's the rest of my day gone. Um, okay. <laughs> Uh, And finally, the growth top tip. If you met someone today who's focused on growing their e-commerce business from 100 orders per month to 1,000, what would be your number one tip for them? It's got to be both. I think there's there's a really... um, pervasive attitude at the moment, which it's pure ego to think that it's amazing to have to go from 30,000 to $260,000 in a month. That is not a good thing. And so what you want to think about, especially if you're really serious about this, like if you're, if you're someone who started a product business and you just want to get in and out and make a, a bunch of money and then the product's done, cool props to you, grow as fast as you can. But if you're someone who's like, I actually want this business to be really successful. I really care about my product. I want to be here in 10 years time. Then pacing yourself once you get to this $500,000 point and settling in for the long haul and building a business that is really modular and really easy to run and building sales is the right thing to be doing. Okay, Lucy, so much great tips today. Um, I'm sure we've, there's probably a couple of people out there going, oh my God, 
Oh, shit. Um, and that's okay <laughs> if you're feeling that way, if you're listening. So before we say goodbye, could you let the listeners know where they can find you and your business on the web and social media, please? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Lucy Bloomfield. My company is called 10,000 Customers. You can search for me and I'll be pretty much everywhere ranting and raving about all the mistakes that people make with businesses, whether you're solving the volume problem or whether you're solving the leverage problem or whether you're solving the scale problem. Um, So there's tons of information out there, no matter what part of the journey that you're in. And uh, yeah, specifically like where I'm particularly interested and where I think I could really help someone is if you've got a product that you've spent a lot of time designing and you you own that. It's not just something that you imported from Alibaba, but you really want to hunker in for a good chunk of your life and, and build this business to a really um, successful point. And I think that's where I can deliver the most value. And who would you absolutely love to hear from? Oh my God. High end products. <laughs> <laughs> the more expensive, the better. Um, what I'm finding at the moment, and this is kind of a bit of a tangent. I hope you don't mind, Chloe. No, no tangents are cool. Your, your tangents are always good. So okay. go for it. <laughs> um, I found something really interesting, which is there's not many high end businesses doing e-com very well. And what I mean by that is not high-end like, oh, this is an $80 skincare product. I mean, no, like a $700 pair of shoes. I have a client right now that sells $600 supplements, $600 for one month. And he has no competitors. There's no one playing in that field and he is killing it. So my interest, particularly because I really care about my clients building profitable businesses. So the more expensive your product, the better I'm finding a, because there's no saturation B because there's more profit and C, because I think that there's a certain level of mastery to create a product that is worth that much. So I'm interested in that. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's who, who, um, who Lucy would love to hear from. So Lucy, thank you so much for being on the e-commerce master plan podcast today. You have, as always given us a lot to think about and um, and a lot of actions to take. And you didn't coach me in this one. So that's a personal Yay! win for me. <laughs> I got away easy. Um, no, but thanks so much for being on. It's always a pleasure to catch up with you. And I know we'll have helped a lot of people today. So thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope this was valuable for everyone listening. Well, I'm guessing you made a lot of notes from that one. It is always brilliant to catch up with Lucy. She just brings so much value and so much clarity as well. Um, And she's certainly a no bullshit person, let's put it that way. And this time I got away without being coached. So um, (laughs) that's a personal win for me. Well, look, get your hands on the notes from today's show, including the top tips and links to what we've mentioned. Uh, Do head over to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast. And of course, this month we are adding an awful lot of things to your to-do list. Um, Across my two podcasts, we've got 12 episodes out there, all about setting yourself up for success. Here on e-commerce master plan, we've got our eight episodes in our e-commerce growth series sponsored by Clavio. And over on Keep Optimizing, we're covering four foundational areas that you need to get right. We're talking about analytics, we're talking about 
your tech stack. We are talking about managing remote teams. Um, so overall, there's an awful lot of stuff, a lot of ideas, a lot of strategies, a lot of tactics that we're sending your way this month, which I know can be a bit overwhelming. So in the first week of February, we are hosting a very special 2021 planning webinar. I'm going to be covering setting your goals for the year, a couple of systems you can follow to help you work out what you should actually do to hit those goals, and a few tips around getting organised so it all actually happens as well. Yes, we're getting deep into planning, which I know doesn't sound that sexy to all of you. To me, it sounds like heaven, but uh, I know that's not not all of you out there. So do, but do, 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 even it sounds a bit dull. I promise I'll make it not dull. And I promise it's going to help you work out exactly what you should do to create your success in 2021. As I said, it's all happening the first week of February. Um, That means as well, of course, you can get Christmas and the January sales out of your hair before we get to it. Uh, And you can save your space. You can register right now for free by going to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash webinar. Now, this has been the sixth episode in our 2021 e-commerce growth series sponsored by Clavio. Have you listened to them all? What great ideas have you got from it? I would love to know. So do let me know. Now, next week, we are putting the last two live. Yes, we are coming towards the end. On Monday, we're going to be exploring what it takes to double sales every year. And on Thursday, we've got the second of our expert episodes where our team of gurus will be sharing their top tip for success in 2021. So I think we're building towards the end with those two episodes. We're certainly not fizzling out. Make sure you catch them both because there's so much in there um, that's going to help you. Now, as you know, I bring you a new interview every week because I want to inspire and help as many e-commerce business owners as possible to succeed and thrive with their business. So please, please, please do tell the other e-commerce business owners you know about what we put out there, about the e-commerce master plan podcast, because I love this content to help them too. I hope you have a great week and keep optimising. Thank you for listening to the e-commerce master plan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com slash podcast.